Welcome to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast, where we talk with some of the greatest names from the stadium and stage about the music and sports that shaped their lives. I'm John Adams. In my years of working in the music and sports arenas, I've experienced firsthand the surprising connections between these two industries. Together, through this podcast, we will explore this crossover relationship. All of our podcasts have an accompanying Spotify playlist that showcases the music we discuss with each of our guests. Search for The Score on Spotify. Today, we have metal on the mind. Our guest formed his band while he was still in high school. The melodic metalcore band August Burns Red produces dynamic metal that offers a relief from trials and tribulations. We will speak with their lead guitarist, J.B. Brubaker, right after this. Hi, this is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right now, the coronavirus is affecting all of us, but for communities of color, the impact is especially devastating. Sadly, this pandemic amplifies the real-life consequences of existing economic and social inequalities. That's why the NBA is partnering with the National Urban League to help inform, represent, and empower communities of color. This is a time for all of us to help all of us, and the more we understand the issues, the more we will be able to solve them. Now, more than ever, we need to be in this together. Be safe, be informed, and get engaged. Welcome back to the Score Music and Sports Podcast. Let's welcome in today's guest. He's a founding member and lead guitarist for the metal band August Burns Red. It's J.B. Brubaker. Welcome to the podcast, J.B. Thanks for having me on, man. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, so you are from... Amish country, Lancaster, PA. Is that that's yeah, correct, right? Correction there. Yeah, you, you got it right. Which <laughs> yeah. is, I, I, I've done this. I've pronounced Lancaster, California, wrong countless times uh, as a result of growing up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So easily confused. Exactly, and we we lived in Lancaster, California for a while. So I look at the word and it's Lancaster, but no, it's Lancaster. In Pennsylvania. God why. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's an Amish thing. And perhaps it's, there's certainly a rich uh, Pennsylvania Dutch heritage in our area, just in the way we talk all the way down to just how we cook and food's prepared and stuff. So we've been on fourth lot of bands, of course, over the years. And, and, you know, we do this weird thing where we sort of raise our voice at the end of a question. For instance, like, do you want to go to that restaurant with me? Like that kind of thing. And they're like, uh, why are you talking like that? And I know that's just one of the many weird little cultural things we have going on here in Amish country, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You're outside of Philly, but still close mm-hmm. to Baltimore and DC down the road from Pittsburgh and, right. and down the road from New York city. So where does your fandom lie? Are you a Philly guy? I'm Philly everything through and through. Yeah. Right. I, I don't care about Pittsburgh. I hate the Steelers. Um, I don't like the New York teams. <laughs> I mean, you know, Philly, we're, we're kind of uh, a motley crew, you know, the Philly fans. But, yeah, it's, that's my, I was raised to root for Philly, and I, I will raise my kids to do the same. I can relate. I'm an Eagles fan. And, uh, oh, sweet. Me too. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, I was all in on that run in 2018. And it, just an incredible championship, an incredible year for all Philly fans. Absolutely. I, uh, that was one of the greatest nights of my life. Um, I've had a lot of, you know, the birth of my child, my wedding day and stuff. And 
<laughs> the Knights of the Eagles won the Super Bowl like right up there. And I, I hate to even compare them because they're it's obviously so trivial in comparison to some of those other things, but it was just so special for a city that was starved for a Super Bowl for so long. It meant so much to, to millions of people. So it, it was it was a night I will never forget. That championship did mean a lot because Philly has been like the bridesmaid several times and always had these great teams and awesome defenses, but then the offense was lacking and an awesome offense, but then the defense is lacking. And that was a year where at the beginning of the season, it didn't, it was a little off kilter. And then as the season progressed, he thought, oh, this could be something cool. And then Carson Wentz goes down and everybody thought, oh, well, there it goes. It's, it's done now. So it was just crazy season. Yeah, it was it was unreal, and I I remember watching that Rams game where once towards ACL, and I saw Nick Foles come in, and you know, being an Eagles fan for years, I had watched Nick Foles um, with it's such a strange career with the ups and downs, but I always had this underlying feeling of Nick Foles sucks. Like this is not like we're <laughs> so screwed. And I remember tweeting out as soon as once went down, Foles came in, I tweeted. Nick Foles sucks. I <laughs> felt like such a, a terrible hypocrite now because I'm literally staring at a bobblehead figurine of Nick Foles on my shelf right in front of where I'm sitting right now. And I would say Nick Foles is like one of my favorite athletes of all time after what he did, what he did for us. I mean, I guess, I guess it goes to show how fair weather and polarizing we can be in, uh, in Philadelphia. But that run was so incredible and epic that he's a hero. So I, yeah. I, I ate my words and I regret that, but it was definitely my feeling at the time. And then he, I don't know, took, took the whole city on his back and, and led him, led him to the dream. Nick Foles also shows all of us how important that role of a, of a backup quarterback is to a team. Right. Right. Well, and that's interesting you say that because the Eagles, um, as you probably know, you know, picked Jalen Hurts. That's right. In the second round which is this big head scratcher after they paid Carson Wentz all this money last year. I guess they're, they're betting. They're just, they're putting a safety net in place, I suppose. For, That's right. For the worst. And that, we've, and they've proven that they need it. So I guess it makes sense. Carson Wentz is a quarterback that I love, but he has had some injuries in the past. So to have someone who's a viable quarterback uh, as a backup who also might be able to keep defenses on their toes because he has um, he has that running ability. He's a very dynamic, uh, fun quarterback to watch. So you might see you might see him get in there a few times in a wildcat offense and, sure. and other other ways. And it's funny you say that Jalen Hurts is going to offer like this dual threat capability as a quarterback because I felt like Wentz had that. He was he was a great scrambler, and then like so many guys. This seems to happen to a lot of quarterbacks as they age. They just want to stay in the pocket and pass. I'm sure they're, they're being told to do that. It's going to help protect them from taking hits, and, and they'll have a longer career and blah, blah, blah. But I think that year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and you know they had that amazing regular season with, one, uh, with Carson Wentz under center, he was running and evading pass rushes and picking up so many yards on the ground and extending plays. And I feel like now you see him just kind of hang in the pocket. How many times did he get you know, strip sack this, this past season from just sort of lingering too long. I, it's an interesting development in, in his game. You're absolutely right. And again, we're talking with JB Brubaker from August Burns Red. And 
with Carson Wentz, he was able to get out of the pocket and to scramble and to extend a place. And he reminds me a lot of of Steve Young and his ability to do that, but still can be a, a huge threat in the pocket as a passer. Steve Young was on the 49ers for five years before he got the full-time starting nod. So we mm-hmm. could see we could see Jalen Hurts in that kind of role, sitting back, getting in on occasion, getting in and, and learning the offense, learning these guys, how they play, so that when he does finally get in to start, he will be completely ready. Yeah, he'll certainly, he'll certainly learn a lot just watching, I'm sure, and taking reps in practice. It'll be interesting how that plays out. The Philly fans are excited about the pick and kind of question it a little bit, but still see where Jalen is going to be uh, an asset to the team. It's it's a bizarre scene to look at Packer fan and the way that they picked up Jordan Love, quarterback from Utah, in the, late in the first round. And people are wondering, well, is Aaron Rodgers out? This could be the end of the, the Rodgers era in uh, Green Bay. Yeah, things move quickly. And Rodgers even said, guys don't sit for three years in, in the shadows waiting to play like these quarterbacks get drafted and they come in and, and they start quickly. Yeah. So I'm sure he sees the writing on the wall, but he dealt with the same thing with, with playing or kind of waiting in Brett Favre's shadow for so many years. That's right. So, I, I mean, he, he knows from experience how that can play out. Yeah, and, and Brett Favre definitely didn't make it easier on him either. <laughs> definitely not with the, <laughs> the all the faux quitting and retirement. and Yeah. yeah. So, do you play fantasy football? Yes, I love fantasy football, and I love daily fantasy football, like the nice. Kendall and DraftKings stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm big into all that. So, how'd you do last year? I had a great year, if, if I may be honest. I don't even. I, I, I feel like I'm going to sound like I'm bragging. I, I won my <laughs> one league. I should have won the other one. It was the league that I had the best team in. But you know how things can go week to week. I, I lost in the championship, and I won. <laughs> um, it, in daily fantasy, I, I won a ticket to the Fandle World Fantasy Football Championship, which was like a, a vacation in Puerto Rico. And I competed with 80 other guys for like $1.5 million in prizes. And wow. I won a bunch of money doing that. So, and it was, it was very lucky. I punched a ticket on a, a really lucky lineup in week five. I'm not like a, a big serious shark or anything when it comes to that stuff, but <laughs> the stars aligned and I, and a, you know, I got to really go on a deep dive into into the daily fantasy stuff, which was fun. Did the other guys in August Burns Red play with you? Our other guitar player plays in both leagues that we do for season long and uh, does a lot of daily stuff as well. We're both pretty pretty into it. We had a league that started with a bunch of us playing together. Um, it's been around now for a while, but uh, it, it sort of fizzled out as far as the guys from our, our camp, our guitar tech plays. And we used to have our bass player and singer in the league, but they, you know, their interests kind of ebb and flow and they, they didn't stick with it. But we've kept, the, we've kept the league alive regardless. You got to stay with it if you're going to play fantasy football. You got to stay in the trenches. You got to know where the players are being picked up and uh, all those offseason right. moves. You, it takes some time. Yeah, there's a lot of research involved. And if you don't enjoy it, it can become a burden. But I'm, I personally like it so much that I'm, like I'm the kind of guy who will listen to like the daily fantasy sports podcasts and stuff. And it, that goes for baseball as well. Like baseball is my, my first love and, and fantasy baseball, I think is even more grueling than fantasy football is. Then if baseball is your first love, you must have, you grew up in an era that 
had some awesome Phillies teams. Like in the the early 2000s, you had like Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley, Ryan Howard. Those teams were incredible. Yeah, and that was such a fun time because that, you know, the Eagles went through their run uh, in the early 2000s where the Phillies were pretty bad and the Eagles were going to the playoffs every year under Andy Reid and stuff. And the attention in Philly certainly shifted to football during that time. But then when the Phillies got good, I mean, everyone rallied around those Phillies teams that were so much fun to watch. I remember thinking, I, I was in uh, somewhere in Switzerland, I believe, when the Phillies won the World Series. I was on tour. And the club was kind enough to leave leave the venue open so we could stream the game in the middle of the night, you know, that part two of game five. And we got to watch the Phillies bring it home. It was such a cool moment. But it, it's funny because with the recency bias of the Eagles Super Bowl, like, I feel like the Super Bowl was even – it was just that much more epic than, than when the Phillies won the World Series. And I'm sure it's recency bias, but that's, that's how it kind of felt in the moment. Sure. And the Phillies have had good players, good teams, and maybe it's because the Eagles never could put it all together. Their, their other appearance in the Super Bowl, well, they, their other two, were they, they kind of got hammered by the, uh, the Raiders, and then they lost to the, the Patriots. Yeah, I guess it was a longer drought. You also have an incredible ballpark. That Citizens Bank ball, uh, ballpark is is amazing. Yes, it is awesome. I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite places to, I, I would say it's like one of my favorite places on earth. I have so many fond memories of going to games at Citizens Bank Park. A buddy of mine is a season ticket holder. And, you know, when I was a younger guy and a, and a bachelor, I would go to games a couple times a week um, during the summer when I was off the road and stuff. So lots of fond memories. And it certainly put the vet to shame as far as, uh, you know, a veteran stadium where they used to play and where the Eagles used to play. It's just like this massive upgrade and just such a great baseball vibe. Um, they say it's one of the, one of the nicest stadiums in baseball. So I, I feel fortunate to have that in, in our home, our home city. Being a baseball fan, you must be on pins and needles waiting for word of when the season is coming back and seeing everything mm-hmm. on hold especially this year, because you guys look like you have a stacked lineup, good pitching. looks like it could be a, a good year for the Phillies. Yeah, and it really stings that we just paid Bryce Harper all this money, and this season could be a wash. Like, who knows what's going to happen? I, I, I certainly hope they mm-hmm. play. But it's like, God, we're, we have this superstar in his prime that paid so much for, and I, I'd really like to see them at least do something this season. I also think just for the sport in general, um, like it's no secret that the popularity of baseball is down amongst, you know, the next generation of sports fans. And I think if baseball can find a way to get games on TV when nothing else is going on, it could potentially be this big boost in just the interest in the game and sort of cultivate the next generation to loving the game, you know, the way, the way we do. So I agree. I, I hope for that reason, I, I don't want to see baseball go away. It's such a, a staple in our history. And I love it so much. So I, I, I want to, you know, I want my kid to care about baseball. I don't want them to think it's boring like so many do now. It's really sad when you go to a ballpark and you see everybody under the age of 25 on cell phones and texting and, and just completely avoiding the game and the environment and what's going on. It's a conversational sport. It's, it's made to have a pace, to be a little slower, to, but still to be exciting. I totally agree. I feel like social media and just the fast technology world we live in has really kind of crushed our attention spans and, and baseball certainly 
uh, taking it on the chin as a result of that. I was looking, I was actually looking through YouTube and I found a video of you playing composure and it was just this playthrough video. You're doing some, some other creative things during this time in COVID as well. So sure. what, ha- what have you seen and what has come through this for you? We had a record come out on April 3rd, which was um, obviously a tricky time. Yes, Guardians, our latest album, came out on April 3rd, so everyone's stuck at home in quarantine when our album drops. <laughs> so not the best time to release a record, but um, at any rate, I think the we, we've, we've been doing a lot of stuff to, I guess, just stay in people's faces um, since we couldn't be on the road to support our album on tour. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing playthrough videos like you saw for Composure, not music videos or anything, just me playing through the song and guitar so you can just kind of see what I'm doing, I guess. And uh, I feel like this is a great opportunity for people, for musicians um, and just creative people in general to work on future projects and and write something. I think next year we're going to see a big boom in really awesome music releases. And as as time progresses, I think there's going to be a lot of great movies and TV shows and stuff that were written during this time where people just have no choice but to to hunker down and and be productive in whatever way they can. So it's a great time for writing. And I'm I'm trying to write some music. Even though we just released a new album, I'd like to be productive with my free time. So why not get started on the next one in a while? It's interesting that you say that because where some people are, I I think everybody is frustrated with the position that we're all in. However, some people feel that this could be a very much a renaissance for people who are creative, for people in the arts, for people who want to create things, whether it's music, movies, TV, books, writing, podcasting, all of those things. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that'll be, it'll be good in some ways and maybe even bad in others because there might be a bit of oversaturation of new stuff coming out so much that we can't even keep up and, and consume it all. It, it, it will be a shame if there's, amazing work being done that doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And, and also as the society gets so segmented, you're going to super serve micro audiences rather than everybody all at once. Like a TV show will appeal to a small audience and because we're so far removed from the days where everybody gathered around the TV and would watch the same thing, you're going to see the people pop up with these creative bursts, but catering to a very specific audience. Yeah, and that's and, and I feel like that's already been happening. And even with the, the kind of music that my band plays, um, yeah. you know, we play metal, and it's it's pretty, you know, it's 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 not the kind of metal that's getting played on the radio. So I, I <laughs> to some degree, I think I've already experienced that, where we're we're sort of super serving a a micro audience, like you said, versus trying to appeal to this wide range of metal fans everywhere. We know we know what our fans like and what they want and what what they want from us. And that's, and that can be sort of our focus, I guess. Yeah. Listening to guardians, it's this album is very dynamic and it has moments that of, of very high energy, especially the very first, the very first track, uh, the narrative, that thing is a banger. And you have this kind of tradition of starting your albums with a, a huge banger of a track. And this does definitely does not deviate from the trend. So is that, is that planned and carefully by you guys, or is that just the way that the tracks lay out? And when you're planning the album, are you are you looking for that specific sound 
to uh, to start the album? It's definitely planned. Um, we'd like to we'd like to hit you in the hit you in the teeth with the first track. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, we're an aggressive band, so we want to start things off aggressively. And it, oftentimes, we feel like the first track is a song we'd love to share with people before the record comes out because it's usually one of our favorites. But the past couple of records, we've sort of like restrained ourselves in that regard. And you know, we'll release we released a few songs before the record came out to tease everyone, and then the first time through it, you get hit with this quote unquote banger, I suppose. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think it just, um, it sets the tone. It, it's a good tone center, uh, a good tone setter. It sort of gives the listener this, uh, message to like, you better, you better buckle up. Cause here we go. <laughs> as far as, as I'm concerned, as far as music and sports go, the narrative and defender both have that stadium feel, especially for hockey. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because hockey is one of the one of the sports that I hear the most about. I hear about the most of playing our music. The National Predators had one of our songs that was sort of, uh, I guess, it was being used after one of the periods. You know, as the guys came back out of the locker room and got ready to start the second period or something, they always played one of our songs. There's a minor league hockey team for the Senators um, in our area called the Hershey Bears. And yes. they always play uh, a song of ours called Whitewashed at the stadium, which is pretty sweet. So I, I don't know what it is about hockey, but that's certainly it's, it's, I, I've heard more stories about hockey playing our stuff than, than most other games or most other sports. There's, there's an aggression to hockey that is not uh, in any other sport. Football is there in bursts and you have that aggression, but, but it's constant in hockey. And I think sure. that the music lends itself to that. It's dynamic. It's it sets a pace. It's it's a driving force for the stadium as well. Yeah, and I I, I sadly have never been present for a Hershey Bears game where our uh, music is actually played, or I've never you know, I've never been down to a Predators game in Nashville. But I know our drummer was present before for uh, and, and heard us play in the stadium for the Hershey Bears, so that was cool. I've heard us on some. Some football broadcasts over the years. Um, for instance, we, we do a bunch of Christmas music. I don't know, I don't know if you knew that or not, but we, we've done a lot of Christmas cover songs. And we do this cover song of Carol of the Bells, which was, yes. I hear it every year on Sunday night football around the holidays, you know, going into a commercial break or something. And that's always special, especially because it's a national broadcast. So I, I think that's cool. And then I'll get texts from family members who are watching, be like, hey, I heard your song. <laughs> it's a completely different feel to Carol of the Bells as well. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a more aggressive take for sure. Well, JB, thank you for your time, man. It's been great to talk with you, and uh, um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I, I'm, I'm happy to talk sports, so I, I appreciate it as well. Thanks for listening to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast. You can listen to the music mentioned in this podcast by clicking the Spotify link in the description or by searching the SCORE on Spotify. Please take a moment to leave a review and share the podcast with your friends and family. For more exclusive interviews and playlists, subscribe to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast now.